You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is uh, Brian. It's great to have you. Matt and I are very matchy today. So, um, which if you know anything about Matt and I, uh, Matt's the guy that leads worship here. Um, uh, we show up everywhere looking the same. So anyways, all right. Good to have you here. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Brian. I am the lead pastor here at uh, Grace City. And so we're just real honored to have you um, here this morning. And uh, I just want to kind of on the front, I need a quick announcement on the front end, a little like housekeeping stuff. And then we'll kind of dive into um, the, we'll dive into the rest of our, our morning. But uh, we have a, a women's event coming up May 13th. Uh, so we're taking donations for um, Cradles to Crayons. We'll, we'll, they'll give you more details at the end of um, uh, at the end of our gathering. And so um, if you're interested in, in being a part of that, ladies, if you, we need you to sign up so that we know that you're interested. That's kind of how this thing works. And so if, you, if you're interested in that, sign up. If, you don't, if we don't get enough, we'll just open it up to the guys and then, you know, we'll just dominate it. So we're just, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just, okay. If you're going to do that, uh, go to gcevents.boston, uh, gc sign up, let us know so that we can kind of plan accordingly. Everyone good with that? Okay, they'll give you more of the details at the end so that you have that. Okay, cool. Uh, well, we're in a series um, that we started last week on the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is one of those things where we talked about last week. So some people, uh, if I say fruit of the Spirit, uh, you just kind of immediately know what I'm talking about. That, that triggers your like childhood memories. You're, you're kicking into the song, the fruit of the Spirit song. Like you just, that just is, is going for you. For others of you, uh, this idea of fruit of the Spirit um, is, uh, is a bit of a different thing. It's not necessarily, doesn't, it's not a triggering for you. And so what we said last week is uh, a lot of times what, what God does in talking about our um, formation and our Christian discipleship, uh, a lot of times what he does is he gives us uh, physical metaphors, uh, things to help, um, help make sense of the Christian life. And, and so in their uh, kind of current cultural moment that they were in, uh, they were primarily uh, gardeners. They were primarily working uh, with a harvest. And so this idea of um, spiritual fruit uh, being produced uh, made sense to them. Uh, w- one of the things I just want to um, just kind of talk about briefly uh, that, that really kind of came up a lot in our, um, in our house church this past week that Kay and I are part of um, is this idea of, um, this idea of cultivation and how when we think about um, gardening. If, if anyone, I don't know if anyone here gardens or whatever. Like we're all, for the most part, you're like I have concrete, so that's where I'm, that's that's what I'm dealing with. But but if you're if you're familiar with that process, or maybe you do it um, even now, um, it takes a, a ton amount of patience and time. Uh, there's a lot of work involved in cultivating the ground. Uh, there's more than just simply. Um, just putting a, a seed in the ground, although that's important. There's a, a work of cultivation. There's a work of, um, of, of watering, of, of kind of tending the ground around it, of ensuring that there's not weeds and other things that are beginning to intrude, right, and, and, and making sure that they're staying out of that. If you're, well, we have rabbits where I live, and so they've destroyed all of our, our, all of our things that were coming up out of the ground, and so you've got to fight the rabbits, right? Like you have all of these kind of different um, elements that you're, you're working with. And so one of the things that I, I just want us to, kind of sit in as we think about this idea of spiritual fruit is that it takes time. It takes time. It's slow. It's not immediate, right? So the fruit of the Spirit is like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all very important traits. And, and we even talked about last week how um, we shouldn't elevate spiritual gifts over spiritual fruit, right? And so sometimes we elevate people who have spiritual gifts, not thinking about the spiritual fruit that's in their life. And then we have devastation, we have church hurt, we have um, all kinds of things that, that go down. And so I'm not saying, um, I'm not saying we don't um, help encourage one another, push one another towards godliness. Um, I'm not saying we don't talk to one another when, the, when fruit is not evident in that moment. Um, but I am saying that it takes time and it takes patience. You can't, you can't microwave, I'm mixing up metaphors here. Uh, you can't microwave spiritual growth, right? Uh, it takes a bit of a time to, to happen. And so I just want us, as we, we sit in the, this idea of spiritual fruit over the next few weeks together, um, I just want us to kind of realize that um, and, and work to kind of recognize, okay, where, where in my life am I seeing these kind of different fruits being manifested? Where am I in my life where I'm not seeing these 
uh, certain fruits manifested? How can I lean into the ones where I'm not seeing um, these, uh, these fruits manifested in my life? And how can I um, even leverage even more the ones I am seeing? Does that, that make sense as we think about this kind of growth um, gardening metaphor that we're, we're kind of walking in together? Okay, um, so uh, t- this morning we're looking at uh, joy, uh, the spiritual fruit of joy. And so in that Galatians passage, Paul, um, he uh, talks about love, which we talked about last week. Uh, and then this, the next one that we're looking at is, is joy. So he, here's what I want to look at. So um, people's disposition, and we've talked about this before, but it bears uh, returning to. So um, people's kind of natural disposition. So if you're in the room, you probably fall in one of these two categories. You're either uh, kind of naturally melancholy, right? So you, you kind of, you can think like Eeyore and Tigger here in a moment, right? If you want to think, I'm a parent. So uh, Winnie the Pooh was on yesterday, so I'm like, oh, oh, Tigger and Eeyore. So um, you, maybe you think about it. So some of you are just kind of a natural um, melancholy, right? That just kind of is, is your natural disposition. Others of you are, are natural enthusiasts, right? So you just kind of wake up charged up, right? So um, you woke up this morning, and you're like, you saw the rain, you're like, oh, God, thank you for the rain. It's, it's, bring, it's watering the crops, that make the ecosystem work. God, thank you that the, the rain is doing the, you know what I'm saying? Like you just, you're, you're everything, you're just grateful for everything, right? That, that's just where you are and others of you woke up and you're like, it's, of course it's raining. You know, that's just, good. We're, this is where we're at, right? Um, so I, I, I do want to recognize we do have natural dispositions as we think about um, this idea of joy. But, but the thing I just want to say is um, this important for us to grasp is that joy stands over and above these things. So, so we have our natural dispositions where we're at on the, the spectrum, but joy, um, joy stands over and above these all. Joy is going to kind of carry um, over and above your natural disposition as a person. And so you, you don't get a pass this morning to go, okay, joy, this is not, this one's not for me. Like this must be for someone else because God, surely God knows my personality and I just, you know, smiling hurts. And so you just, that's where you're at. It's like, that's not... You don't get to make that, you know, that we'll talk about what joy is, but, but that's not the position. So I don't want any of us walking in thinking, oh, I feel good about this, or, or maybe I don't. Joy stands over and above um, our kind of continuum of uh, emotional kind of stance uh, that we have. So that's the first thing that I, I want us to, to grasp. The, the second thing I want to say about joy um, is that, that joy is one of the most distinctive traits of the Christian people. It, it is one of the most distinctive traits about the, the Christian faith, this idea of, uh, of joy. It is meant to set us apart as a people. It's meant to distinguish us from um, people that are uh, around us. And so this morning, again, this morning some of you are like, I'm, in, I'm locked in, I'm good for that, I, I, don't, I don't need that. My, I'm a natural enthusiast, right? So I'm kind of fired up at all, at all cylinders all the time. Uh, for, for others of you, you're gonna have to lean in this morning and, and really go, okay, am I, um, am I allowing this particular fruit to be produced? Because it is an important characteristic um, of, the, of the Christian faith. I think it's probably one of the strongest apologetics um, that, we, that we have. Now, what, what's interesting um, is this idea of joy and happiness has actually kind of been, in a lot of ways, at the cultural center of our day. And, and, and so this is kind of what you see. There, there have been a ton of uh, what you would call like happiness studies or what we call happiness psychology that kind of exists. Um, you, you see lots of books that are trying to explore what it is to be happy. How, how can we be a happy people, right? You've seen these before. You remember bookstores. And so you go into the bookstores and they have these books where they're like, this is how to be happy and um, leverage these kind of principles. There's actually a website called happiness.com. I don't know if you, if, if anyone's ever joined that before, but uh, I went to happiness.com. You can sign up for free. Uh, I did not sign up, but I was just kind of perusing the website. And, and it's, it's a lot, of, it's, it's like um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Do you know what I mean? They're like, if you want to be happy, you need to have food. You, and I, I agree with all those things. Uh, but, but you can sign up and it's like, hey, there's a community of happiness here. And so if you want to be, you know, ha- it's, it's, if you want to be happy, sign up for this and, and join this community for uh, self-care and all these types of things. This, this is kind of on the forefront of our cultural moment that, that we have. And so there's lots of books on positive thinking, uh, lots of books on how to control your life so that you can be happy. Uh, and, and for the most part, here, here's the thing, though, for the most part, and, and we're in Boston, so we can just kind of be upfront with one another. Uh, for the most part, like intellectuals, um, writers, things like that. In some ways, when you hear them talk about these things, they talk about these things, it's kind of silly. Like, this is kind of like a silly 
thing this like how to be happy how to go after happiness how to embrace happiness right these are um like for the most part intellectuals would say all right that's kind of a um interesting thing a- amy bloom uh she, she's a writer she wrote an essay for the new york times and um the, the name of the essay was uh called the rap on happiness the rap on happiness and, and this is what she says uh, she says smart people often talk trash about happiness and worse than trash about books on happiness and they've been doing so for centuries the fashion is to bemoan happiness studies and positive psychology as being a work not of the devil but of morons so she's going in uh she's going in on happiness um she's, she goes to explain a couple of reasons why um but but here's the main one this is what she says she says the real problem with happiness is neither its pursuers nor their books it's happiness itself happiness is like beauty Part of its glory lies in its transience, and it's, uh, it is deep but often brief. To hold happiness is to hold the understanding that the world passes away from us, that the petals fall and the beloved dies. No amount of fashionable scowling will keep any of us from knowing and savoring the pleasure of the sun on our faces or save us from the adult understanding that it cannot last forever. Um, what, what she's saying is basically this. She's saying, it, if you want serenity and peace in life, then don't pursue happiness. D- don't, don't pursue it. Because anything that you get joy from will not last. She says it doesn't matter what's going on. It's going to disappoint you. Uh, the, the only way to have serenity is to try to essentially not be happy. To not pursue joy. Now, now, you can read that and, and listen to that, and you read the article, and you're like, that sounds like a pretty terrible way to live, right? You, 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 you can do that, and it, it sounds a lot like Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you ever um, read that before. I mean, Solomon in Ecclesiastes is like talking about life, and he says, this is vanity, vanity, it's like chasing after the wind. I mean, he is just kind of bemoaning life and, and all the pursuits of, of life, and, and he's just like, man, life is, is, is terrible. I'm working, and and doing all these things. Uh, and if we're honest this morning, I mean, th- th- uh, I think we have plenty of reasons not to be a people of joy. I, I think lots of reasons. I mean, um, we, ha- we have international wars that are happening. Uh, if, you, if you turn on the news, you see the economy is sinking, banks are closing, businesses are shutting down. We see the kind of general political discourse is full of hate, vitriol, uh, mass shootings have become normative. Uh, people are getting killed in schools, in boardrooms, in grocery stores, at house parties. Uh, many of the institutions that were supposedly created to care for the common good are full of corruption, deceit, and greed. Uh, systematic racism continues to plague us. Uh, if you're having a good day and you want to end the joy that you're experiencing, what do you do? You cut on the news. This is what you do. We, we, we have plenty of reasons. If we're just kind of surveying the cultural moment, uh, we have plenty of reasons to be a people not full of joy. Don't we? Can we just like be, we could be honest with one another to go, I don't know, man, I'm kind of surveying everything and I, I'm, I'm kind of on board with, with, with Amy and her article there. Um, there. There's lots of reasons. But the, the, the problem with that is, is that Paul says in Galatians that the spirit produces joy. And that what it means to walk in the spirit is to mean is to mean to be a people who are walking in joy, but regardless of, of all the things that are going on. So so here's what I want to do. I want to define joy. Uh, I, I want to identify enemies of joy. We'll just kind of move through this quickly, but I want to define what joy is. I want to look at enemies uh, to our joy, and then I want to talk about how to cultivate joy. Uh, so define it, the enemies against joy, and then how to uh, cultivate joy. Here's the definition that we're working from this morning. Uh, joy is an inner sense responding to what is presently ours and what will be ours in the future. Joy is an inner sense responding to what is presently ours and what will be ours in the future. It's kind of this, uh, the kingdom of God kind of has this idea of the already but not yet. And so we're presently walking in the promises and in the presence of God, but we will also in the future have those as well. Uh, 1 Peter 1, here, here's our scripture for this morning. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. It'll be on the screen or you can turn there if you have a Bible. 1 Peter 1, 3 through uh, 9. Peter was an early disciple of Jesus. This is what he wrote. Well, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll dive into it. God, we, um, 
we love you. We, we thank you for your scriptures, God. Thank you that you um, want to speak to us, that you want to communicate to us, God. And so we just um, ask in this moment for your help. We ask for the Holy Spirit's filling uh, to help us grasp and understand what the scriptures are saying. God, we, we have a desire to be a people who are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we, we really want that for our lives, but we, sh- we struggle to do that so many times. God, I, I struggle to do that so many times. And so w- would you help us this morning as we think about joy, um, as we, we work to be informed by your scriptures uh, on how to live, not, not our own ideas about life, uh, but how you've informed us how to live. We, would you help us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Uh, this is what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, you rejoice in this. Even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And, you, and, and here's, here's how he kind of ends this section. And you rejoice in inexpressible and glorious joy. So I want us to hang on to that. You rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. And then in verse 9, he, he's going to say, the, he's going to give the reason for it. We, we see the conjunction there. He says, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're receiving the, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, here's one of the things that we see from this scripture and we see from other scriptures. Um, Christian joy is unique because it is not dependent on your circumstances. For some of you, that's all you need to hear this morning. You don't need to hear, you don't need to hear, hear me say anything else other than just to say that Christian joy is unique because it's not based on your circumstances. You can lose your job and still walk in Christian joy. You can. Your, your bank account uh, can, can be at, at zero and still walk in Christian joy. Your, your grades cannot be what they want to be. You, you can um, not be in a relationship, though you desire a relationship, and still walk in Christian joy. But this is what makes joy and the fruit of the Spirit so unique is it's not based on what's going on around us. Thank God it's not based on what's going on around us. And, and some of the reasons that we know that is we, we see this um, in, in the Scripture here, but we also see uh, Paul in Romans uh, 5.3. He tells the church at Rome to rejoice in their afflictions. Maybe you've, you've read that before. He's like, hey, I want you to rejoice in your afflictions. James uh, wrote in James 1.2, he says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. And, and so you read these passages uh, all throughout the Bible where the, the biblical authors are saying, hey, rejoice, experience joy in your sufferings, when you're in suffering, when you're in difficulty, when you're in trials. And, and so you can't read that and go, okay, well, joy is based on my circumstances. And so if my circumstances are good and right and everything's going my way, then I can be a person walking in joy. You can't say that because the scriptures say, rejoice, walk in joy and suffering and difficulty. And in trials, it, it causes you to ask the question, how is this possible? I see the, the instruction to walk in joy, but, but how is that possible? How are the biblical writers, a guy like Paul, who when he wrote the majority of those kind of um, exhortations to rejoice in trials and difficulties, is sitting in a jail cell. You're like, how does Paul do that? How, how can he... How can he because he's, a, listen, if anybody can instruct you on what it means to walk in Christian joy in the midst of difficulty, it's Paul. It's Paul. You, you, most of our, like most of our worst days, for the most part, our, our worst days, like you, you look at Paul and you're like, okay, all right, I'm good. I missed the train, I got it. Okay, I'm just, just, you know. He's like, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been jailed, I've been imprisoned. Been food been held from me, but he says, "I want you to re- rejoice." P- Peter, look at this. Um, Peter in uh, in one verse three. 
um, he says, blessed. So he says, we honor God in verse three. He says, we, we, we bless God. We honor God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to say why we bless God, why we seek to honor God. He says, because of his great mercy. So God's mercy, not our ability, not our works, not our, you know, whatever we can produce. He says, no, because of his great mercy, he has given us what? New birth. New birth into, he says, into a living hope through the resurrection uh, from the dead. Now, this idea of new birth, this is what Jesus told uh, Nicodemus. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus. And what does he say to Nicodemus? He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need a fresh start. You need a new life. Like what, what you're doing, uh, this religious activity that you've been doing and the works that you've been doing, they're actually not producing new life in you. It's not new. And, and so Peter says, okay, because of God's mercy and his kindness towards a people, it says he gives us new life presently. Remember we said uh, joy, if we're defining Christian joy, it is what we have access to now and what we will have in the future. So our access to right now is what? New life. He says you have the ability, regardless of where you come from, to have new birth in Christ. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter what you did, um, doesn't matter your, your family dynamics, uh, doesn't matter your, your talent, your ability, any of those types of things. He says you have access to new birth right now. New attitudes, new thoughts, new affections. Your old patterns don't have to define you. They don't have to control you. He says, right now, new birth. Look, look what else he says. So he says, we have this um, new birth, this new start through this living hope. And then he says, and, in verse 4, he says, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So think about this. This is the already but not yet kind of concept of the kingdom of God. He says, you can have new birth right now, 2023. Uh, new start through Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. New, brand new, right? So, so all of this, if you define yourself as a Christian, there is at some point where you were given new life by saying yes to Jesus, right? And, and this big process of maturation and spiritual growth, sanctification started happening in you. You start being different than you were, or you should, right? If you have not, we should talk. This new life. But then he also says, regardless of what's going on around you on this earth, he says there's something in the future for you. He says there's an inheritance for God's people. There's something being stored away from you that, that can't be. I want you to sink this image in, right, to your brain. He says there, there's an inheritance, and the, 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 the biblical writers use this a lot, but, but they say there's an inheritance over here that's unfading, that can't be broken into, that can't be taken from you, that, that you can't lose. There, there's an inheritance. Like your future it is something that is coming to you as God's people that regardless of what happens here doesn't affect that. And Peter says we, we, we rejoice. We respond in joy because we walk in new life here, but we also know that we have something coming in the future. This is why the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 um, of the Christmas story, you've, you've, um, I'm sure you've heard this before if you've been around church at all, but in Luke 2, uh, 10 through 11, uh, what did the angel say to the shepherds? It says, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of what? Great joy. That will be for all people that today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 2, says that joy was actually, it was joy that sent Jesus to the cross. Uh, he says this, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you're like me, you're reading it, you're probably thinking, um, how is it possible that joy sent him to the cross? Right, I mean, I, I can remember reading that. Even when I read it now, it's a bit of a shocking thing to the system. It says, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. I mean, I, I understand if the, the 
author of Hebrews said, for the responsibility that laid before him, for um, you know, the love of the Father that laid before him, for the love of humanity that laid before him. Like I can understand lots of words there, uh, not joy. But he says it was joy that took Jesus to the cross. Well, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, um, the cross wasn't bringing him joy. It was what the cross was going to accomplish that was bringing him joy. It was, a, it was a means to an end. It meant new birth for us. It meant inheritance for those who trust in Jesus. It was union of Father and humanity. It was us present with God the Father. I mean, can, you th- can, we, just, can we get our heads around that imagery for a moment? That when Jesus thought about the cross... He's thinking about what, what's before him. We know, he, we know from the scriptural accounts that there's agony associated with the cross. Like the Garden of Gethsemane account, that if you've read it before about Jesus, it says he so, has so much anxiety and stress, he's, he's dripping drops of blood that is biologically stressed. Right? And the writer of Hebrews says, um, even though he has that in front of him, and the anxiety that that's producing in him, What's stronger inside of him is the fact um, that there will be a joy produced by union of the Father and humanity. Think about that for a moment. That what brings Jesus joy, what brings that Father joy is relationship with you. You. Me. And I, I know me, right? I know me. This is not my joy took him to the cross. This is why we can say, we, this is why we can say we can be a joy-filled people because we have new birth now. We have an inheritance that is coming um, in the future. This is why Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 22, he says, so uh, you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And when I see you, what does he say? He says, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Nobody. Um, joy in so many ways is, is really about a perspective change. It's about a perspective change. It's about a choice. Tim Mackey, uh, he, he runs the Bible Project, if, you, if you're familiar with that at all. Um, really incredible resource for the church. This is how he defines Christian joy. He says, Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. He says, I want you to see it again because it's with intention there. Christian joy is what? A profound decision. You see, those who live with a, a type of pervasive joy do so because they figured out the value in aligning their perspective with God's reality for his people. You know someone with pervasive joy? in God, it's because they, they've figured out, oh, I'm, I'm going to align myself with the reality of God's, um, what God's done for me, that he's given me new birth and he's given me uh, a future. So, so there's work we have to do to cultivate joy. There's work we have to do. There's a realignment that has to happen. Okay, let's talk about enemies to our joy uh, here for a moment. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but I think it's um, I think it's valuable to, to do that. So um, all of these start with a C, and I tried to not do that because I'm a pastor, but I also appreciate when it happens. And so it has happened in this instance. There's every so often I can get things to line up perfectly. And so all of these enemies are going to start with a C, so hopefully that'll be helpful for you because it brings my pastor's heart great joy. Uh, first enemy, criticism. Uh, first enemy, uh, a criticism is an enemy to joy. Some of you are stuck in a spirit of criticism. You are. And, and, and you're you just, you're a critical person. Maybe you didn't start that way. Maybe it's developed because of disappointment that you've had in your life, because of sadness that you've had in life, uh, because of pain that's been going on. Uh, and instead of using pain and difficulty to form resiliency in you, it has formed uh, you into a person uh, with a critical heart. And, and all you see when you walk in a room is what is wrong in the room. And all you see when you talk to someone is what is wrong with someone. And, and, and you've got this kind of critical spirit about you. Criticism is, is keeping uh, you from joy. It's keeping you focused on all, all that is wrong in the world. 
And it's an, it's an enemy to Christian joy. It, it refuses to see God at the, the center of life. You know what I found is that many times when, when I'm, I have this kind of um, critical spirit that's developing inside of me, um, one of the most helpful things for me is that, that I, I tend to be most critical when my expectations, um, when, when the results of my life are not meeting the expectations that I had. And, and then I have to do the work of going, okay, do my expectations align with the promises of God? Or are they expectations that I created? Right? So when I say to God, I deserve this, this should be mine. Anytime you're using should language, right, it's a problem. That's what my therapist says. So it's doing the work of recognizing where is, where is criticism existing. Secondly, so criticism. Uh, secondly, consumerism. Uh, we live in a culture of consumption. We, we do, and consumerism uh, has sold us on the idea that the more that you consume, the more that you experience joy and satisfaction. It has, has it not? Like th this is, this is um, what we see uh, all around us. Um, ha have you ever heard of uh, uh, planned obstinance? Um, it, it's basically this idea that, so um, it's basically this thought in psychology that is how do we get people to buy stuff that breaks without getting upset that it broke? This is, this is the idea. So you think anything from Ikea, <laughs> right? So if you're putting a bookshelf together and it breaks, you're like, that's Ikea, you know? I'll go get another one. Uh, it, th there's like a, a, a kind of a planned out thought of like, hey, th this is going to be obsolete and it's not going to hurt your feelings. It's called planned. There, there's another one called perceived, basically perceived, um, uh, perceived. And, and perceived is basically, um, it's how we get trends, right? So, so basically the idea is how do we get people to feel bad about having something that's old? even though it still may work perfectly fine. And, and it's why no one in the room is walking around with an iPhone 6, right? Maybe you are walking around with an iPhone 6. You, you just have massive amounts of self-confidence and you're walking in Christian joy. But, but that's the, the, the idea. It's like, okay, how do we get people to feel bad about having something that is old? Oh, I know, we'll, we'll, pr we'll produce something new all the time constantly over and over and over again and it's done this really kind of unique work of um, creating us a posture of consumerism of consumption we think oh if i if i get this thing you know if i get this thing then then uh, all will be right again right like e every iphone release it, it, without fail for me i'm like oh man that new feature is amazing do you see you can swipe that way and it immediately comes up you know and so I'm you're doing like a deep dive into all this stuff and you're thinking dude this is going to be the one I'm going to get this one and my life is going to change forever and everything's going to be good right and you just you get it and you pull it out of the package and you're like being super careful with it and you kind of you know what I mean it's just me but I'm like super careful I'm like oh, this is the most amazing I'm talking to my friends about it I'm kind of showing them not letting anybody touch it and then you two weeks later right my kids got it there's applesauce on it it's been like slung across the room. I was like, well, that's whatever. Doesn't produce joy and satisfaction. Uh, Carl Truman wrote a book called Strange New World. It's really good. You should read it. Strange New World. And one of the things that he says, he says the reason that our world is so miserable is because we are addicted to the cult of happiness. And we think consumption will produce um, happiness, but consumption just distracts us from our new birth. Keeps us from seeing our new birth. It puts us in a never-ending cycle, a never, never satisfying rotation um, of things. Now, the, the problem is, when we think about this consumption mentality, is it's not just products, but it's also people. Keeps us from joy. Katie, um, we were watching a uh, we were watching a show last night, and so um, we were like, oh, I wonder whatever happened to that person. I don't know if you do that, but we were like, whatever, I wonder what happened to that person. So we, we looked it up, and we were reading an article, um, 
and it was uh, super fascinating. This is like a preacher's dream when this happens. And so she's reading this article and um, on this celebrity, and the, the celebrity makes this statement. She said that she's decided to chase her joy. She decided to chase her joy. I'm like, that's gold, babe. Keep going. You know, that's just like in a moment. We're having a Holy Spirit moment, you know? Um, I was like, what? Chase her joy. What the heck? What, what are you talking about? She's like, um, and, and so but you read on the article, and what she was referring to was her divorce, that she's decided to prioritize her happiness and joy, and that he's not a part of that anymore. Chase her joy. Now, I don't know what's going all goes on in that relationship and, inside of that. I'm not trying to throw shame or any of those types of things, but it's just fascinating that she's referring to her divorce as pursuing her joy. See that? It's consumption. It's, it's throwaway. It's, it's creating a, a type of um, cheap satisfaction. Uh, consumerism, in, in so many ways, actually, it, it, it dulls our joy. It creates cheap joy. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, um, he identifies this so well. Listen to what he says here. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. So he says, in the Christian wall, in the Christian life, you have infinite joy is offered us. But he says, we're fooling around with drink and sex. He says, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. So he says our consumption, our, our posture of consuming, it actually has dulled our joy. It's cheapened it. It's made us not long for more. It, it's, it's made it a, a way lower level of, of joy. And so C.S. Lewis says, man, we're like ignorant children playing in the mud pies when we've been offered a holiday at the sea. Okay. So we have criticism. Um, we have consumption. Thirdly, we have cynicism. Um, a cynic is someone who sees everything through just uh, distrustful eyes. It's just a, a cynic. That'll never happen. You can't trust them. That change will never go long enough. We, we just can't. Uh, cynicism. Cynicism is, I, I think, one of the strongest things in our day. Uh, there, there's a book called Winners Take All. And um, he, he gives the following reasons why cynicism seems like a logical response. <laughs> Listen to what he says. He says, American scientists make the most important discoveries in medicine and genetics and publish more biomedical research, uh, research than any of those, more biomedical research than those of any country, but the average American's health remains worse and slower improving than that of its peers in other rich countries, and in certain years, expectancy actually declines. American investors create astonishing new ways to learn, um, uh, astonishing new ways to learn things about the power of the video and the internet. Many of them free of charge, but the average twelfth grader tests more poorly in reading today than in 1992. The country has had a culinary renaissance, as one publication puts it, uh, one farmer's market and whole food at a time, but it's failed to improve the nutrition of most people. Um, with obesity and other related conditions rising over time. The tools of becoming an entrepreneur appear to be more accessible than ever for the student who learns coding or online or the Uber driver, but the share of young people who own a business has fallen by two-thirds since the 1980s. America has birthed a wildly successful online bookstore called Amazon. Have you heard of that? And another company called Google and has scanned more than 25 million books for public use. 25 million books, by the way, for public use. But literacy has remained in place and the fraction of Americans who read at least one work of literature a year has dropped by almost a quarter in recent decades. And so this, the cynic is like, look, dude, come on. Joy? Yeah, I mean... And this is where some of you are. You're like, and just you're lacking in you're, you're you're lacking in it because cynicism refuses to believe that God's at work. Refuses to believe that He can change people. 
It's distrustful of the church. It's distrustful of the process of spiritual growth. It lures you, lures you into a disbelieving posture, a cynicism. Fourthly, uh, this fourth one I call cultural confidence. Cultural confidence. And it wasn't just to get to the seas, but it's nice. Um, some of you are lacking joy. I want you to hear this. Some of you are lacking joy because you put too much confidence in our cultural moment. Uh, you're allowing the cultural moment to steal your joy. Uh, you keep believing that this policy will work, this legislation, this legislation will work, this change in political policy or party will do it, this leader, this organization. Listen, um, if you allow the state of the world to dictate your inner joy, you will never have joy. There's not a leader who's going to come. There's not a policy that will be passed. There, there's not um, a, a political party that's going to uh, take over. N- n- like, n- none of that is going to happen that is going to produce a type of lasting joy that we're called to be in as a people of God. So work for change, yes. Uh, fight to make the world uh, a more just place, petition your local leaders to make policy change, march, do, do all the things um, to, to push back against oppressive systems, but do not believe those systems will produce joy in you. They can't. They won't. It's a, it's a full errand. So how do we maintain a life of joy? In closing, how do we cultivate joy? Just a few things here. Um, and, and I do want to say this. So when, when living in, like, um, maintaining joy in Boston can be challenging, uh, especially when we're almost in May and it's 55 degrees outside, right? Like, there's a, a high level of even yesterday where I'm like, I need to embrace joy, but this 55 weather degree weather's got me down. Okay, so um, th- there's a certain level where uh, cultivation of joy from a people of God is actually a really important uh, principle um, in, a, in a city like ours, it can be a bit different. And this is, this is true in other kind of major cities because um, you can easily lose a sense of joy. So l- let me just give you a couple of different ways to cultivate joy. I'm just going to blitz you with a ton of stuff. Because uh, here's what I did. I just, um, I just asked a bunch of people. I'm like, hey, can you talk to me about how you cultivate joy in your own personal life? And so maybe one of these connect with you. Maybe they don't connect with you. Um, so I'll just run through them. Uh, one way, some ways in which we cultivate joy is simple. It's through practicing the habits. Um, it's through silence. It's through reading the scriptures. It's through fasting. It's through journaling. Um, it's through prayer. Uh, the, these are ways in which we, we realign ourselves uh, with the kingdom of God. It's through practicing the habits. No, there's no secret there. It's just doing the natural daily rhythms that we're called to do as a people of God. Mm-hmm. Saying no to the noise embracing silence, prayer, uh, scripture, so practicing the habits. Uh, other ways I, I personally cultivate uh, joy is through um, great food, great food, great drink. I, I'm calling this the Nehemiah 8 principle. Uh, it makes me feel better if I get it from the scripture. Nehemiah 8, listen what, what happens here, Nehemiah 8, 9 through 12. Um, so it says Nehemiah the governor, they've come back, they're building the wall, you know, it's they're in a, a difficult season as the people of God. It says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites were instructing the people, uh, said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So Zechariah says, don't, don't mourn and, and weep. He says, for all the people uh, were weeping as they heard the words of the law. So they're hearing the words of the law. They're hearing the scriptures and their, their response to hearing the scriptures was to weep and mourn. And that's all right. Like, they're, they're recognizing, okay, we've got a sin and rebellion in our life, and, and so we're res- responding in, in this sense. Uh, but listen, listen what the, the priest and the scribe says. It says, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, he says, then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy, and don't grieve. Then all the people, look, it says, Then all the people began to eat and drink and send portions and have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to him. So one of the ways that you cultivate joy in your life is, is great food and drink with, with friends, right? Maybe it's just a hanging out with, with people that, that make you belly laugh. Do you know what I mean? You have those people that just bring joy to you. 
You're just sitting around. Uh, for some of you, you cultivate joy through uh, writing. And when you're writing, there's something that's just kind of locked inside of you. Um, for some of you, it could be, uh, for me, I, I run, and so running just has an effect on me as I kind of see the city, and um, there's something about that process for me. Uh, playing uh, basketball with my son in our little driveway that we have, it cultivates uh, joy for me. Uh, could, like my, my like favorite thing is on a Friday evening, I, I, we get our day done, and uh, we start making dinner. I cut on little Miles Davis, right? On vinyl preferred, but I, I, the Alexa's fine if that's all I've got access to in the moment. And, and just cooking food, my family's there, we're talking, we're hanging out, and, and it's just cultivating joy in that moment for me. Just enjoying that time, that space. Sometimes it's looking back on journal entries, looking at God's faithfulness. This is why Exodus says, remember, 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 remember to God's people. Um, all the time. It could be hiking for you. It could be skiing. It could be going for a swim. It could be sex if you're married. Um, uh, it should be your, your Christian community should be cultivating joy for you in this space. It could be worship music. It could be singing with one another. See that? These, these are all ways. Like, here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and think, okay, what is it um, that helps cultivate joy. Now, here's the distinction I want to make because this is really important. I don't, I don't even miss this. Um, it's not the, the joy is not about these things, right? Like not, not everyone has access to a, you know, um, Grace Note, flat white, you know, 12 ounce, single origin, you know, beautiful cup of coffee, right? So, so it's, not, it's, not, it's not about the thing, it's about what the thing is pointing to. Because I want you to hear that. It, it's, the joy isn't being produced because of the thing. The thing is pointing you to something else that gave you the thing. Am I making sense? Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, he wrote uh, his, in his autobiography called Surprised by Joy. Um, because I don't want you to think, and think, okay, I need to work these things in rhythm. I'll be a more happy person. That's not what I'm going for here. Um, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, um, he talked about how when, before he was a Christian, he was trying to find joy in lots of other things, like a ridiculous level. So if he found something that would give him joy, he would binge on it. So he started, uh, like, ridiculous things. He started um, reading uh, Icelandic saga, like saga stories, and he got so excited about it um, that he, he wanted to read all of them. Um, because he was so pumped about it. He, he actually went back and learned uh, the Nordic language so that he could read it in the original. This is how intense he was. And, and so he's, he's reading it. He's working through it. And, and so then he, he gets done with that. And he's like, okay, well, uh, I thought that was going to give me joy, but then that doesn't. Uh, and then he says, you know, suddenly um, uh, I get a friend, and we're, we're hanging out. I'm, I'm realizing, oh, this friend is bringing me great joy, and so I'm, I want to be with a friend all the time. Let's get together. Let's talk. Um, they're, they're kind of doing this thing, and, and then he, he was like, you know, and then my friends, I started, basically, he's like, I, I started wearing my friends out because they're like, hey, this is too much, um, and he's like, oh, so friendships is not going to produce this type of joy in me, um, and, and so what he says in this book, he starts to realize that there's a God behind joy, um, and he starts getting converted. He starts moving towards Christianity slowly, but he starts moving towards Christianity because he's like, something's not connecting here. I'm not getting joy. I'm not receiving Joy. Now listen to what he says. This is what he says. It should be on the screen. He says, I came to realize that books or the music in which I thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust, if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. He says, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire, but if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they will turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself, these things that bring it. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, or news of a country a country we have not yet visited. So he says, all the, he said, the mistake I was making is he was like, I thought these things would bring me joy. And he said, the reality is, is I was getting the, the hint 
of the thing in the future. I was getting the smell of the flower. I was getting a hit from the country that exists in the future. And so when we cultivate joy, what does it mean to cultivate joy? Um, it means when I'm in my little driveway with my boy, we're playing ball or we're kicking the soccer ball, or we're doing whatever, I'm just in that moment recognizing that this is evidence of God's common grace to me. That he's given that to me. And it points to him. It points to him. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He eventually at the end of it becomes a Christian. Um, he said for many years he thought the joy is here, the joy is here. He could go to that landscape, that set, but then he came to realize that the joy was coming through the things. I'll end it this way. Um, he ends with this beautiful illustration. He says that if you're lost in the woods and you come upon a signpost, it's a big deal. If you're lost in the woods, it's a big deal. And he says the first person who sees the signpost in the woods says what? Look, 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 look. I found the sign. I found the how do we go. I, this is how we're going to go. And he says everyone does what? They're going to gather around the signpost and go, oh, okay, this is the way that we go. This is the direction. He says, but if you found the road and you're on the road and you're passing signposts every few miles, you don't stop and stare at the signpost. You just keep moving because you're on the road. You, you, you know where you're going. They encourage you. You're grateful for the authority that set them up, uh, but, but you just keep moving. He says, but you don't stop and stare. Um, why? He says, because we're, we're on our way. He says, if you're really lost, when you find a signpost, you get pretty excited about it. But when you know your way, when you know the thing to which the signpost points, that's when you're on your way and you don't stop and look at the signpost. So he says, when I realize that friends, food, success, acclaim, popularity, money, all the things that we think, if I have that, they're going to bring me joy. He says, when I realized they were signposts, he says, I learned to enjoy them that they were great. But don't mistake the signpost for what they're saying, for what they're pointing to, which is the city of God, the city himself. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for new life in you. Thank you for an inheritance that is ours, God. We love you. Would you help us be a people full of joy? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, we're going to take the bread and cup in a moment. 